Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss, it's up to you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tools for the Toolbox. This is episode 24 and I am thrilled. I have an absolutely wicked guest here. So I'm going to let him take it away and start it off. So who are you and what is your military background? Yeah, right on. Well, thanks, brother. I'm, I'm glad to be here. My name is Adam Kanakin, um, uh, formerly uh, with the North Saskatchewan Regiment. Um, I was a platoon commander there uh, for the reserve unit and mm -hmm. a training officer uh, for our company and, and then with our regiment. Um, got out, actually finally released in 2015. Um, mm -hmm. I suffered some pretty uh, catastrophic spinal injuries in training, um, thanks to Gagetown and Lawfield Corridor. Good old and, Gagetown. <laughs> and uh and yeah so but prior to my military service during uh and then and and post service i've always been a, a dt instructor martial artist um and it kind of everything kind of rolled in um i got to do a lot of um, instructor level courses when i was in um did that with our unit and then i was able to to carry that on to the private side with uh, law enforcement and private security training afterwards so that is fantastic you know i um i had the most fun as an instructor even like blowing stuff up prior and doing demo is always great but being an instructor and seeing the aha moments or the light bulb moments when you know a recruit grasps a concept not just what you're teaching them but they actually understand like <laughs> machine gun theory and that you can see it click in their head like <gasps> yes <laughs> and that was probably the most fulfilling part about being uh, a soldier dealing with uh instructing in general i mean it's fun to jack people up and yeah, yeah yeah but getting someone to actually understand something that was like crisp so now you also so you train um law enforcement private security all that stuff but you also have uh, a podcast and so you do in-house training and then you have all your virtual stuff as well yeah it's kind of a mixed bag uh, to be honest with you, it started off, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I did, uh, for security, private security, I mean, I got accredited across the country running a lot of the security programs, the licensing programs, DT stuff. And that transitioned me, um, into working with a lot of the top law enforcement instructors, uh, in North America. And so those relationships that I had built over the years, um, which is something we're going to talk about, you know, throughout this, this conversation is, mm -hmm leveraging relationships but the relationships i had built during my time in and then again afterwards um, i put together this podcast tactical breakdown um and uh for those of you who haven't listened to it you can you can catch it any any podcast player you just search tactical breakdown um and we it's really instructor led and instructor based um the concept behind it was can we get behind the curtain on the conversations that instructors have after a course is done. So like at the end of the day, when the students are sent home and you're sitting there with your, with your fellow instructors and saying, all right, what went right? What went wrong? Who's, who are the idiots? Mm -hmm. You know, who are the uh, all-stars, those types of things. And, and then discussing amongst yourselves, well, how do we make certain people better? How do we enhance things for those who already get it? What's the next iteration? What are the next steps? Um, and, and really kind of peeling back the curtain for, for everybody. So they understand what conversations are we having as instructors and why we're having them um, that, you know, for anybody who follows Simon Sinek, understanding the why 
behind mm-hmm. concepts is so vitally important, especially for, for instructors. Absolutely. And so we built out the podcast and, and shit, we've interviewed everybody. Um, I mean, we were only about 50 so episodes in um, coming up and we're going to have a whole bunch more coming, coming right away. But um, it's a lot of uh, military veterans, um, instructors, law enforcement veterans, instructors. So, you know, um, if you're a military guy, you'll, you'll know, obviously like the, the Dave Grossman's mm-hmm. um, and those types of folks. A lot of, a few guys that you've had on your show, I think I've had on mine as well. I think so. Um, you know, guys like Dave Rutherford, um, who did um, stuff with Mark Luttrell, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Luttrell um, with the team never quit um, does his own thing now. So we talked and, and it's interesting every time we have these conversations um, because you have, for example, I'll give you an example on our, our last year, we ran the international law enforcement training summit. It was the first kind of big event that we did. Mm-hmm. We had, um, we had 10,000 officers from 76 countries attend. Um, and I had guys on there. So like the, the Tony Blowers and the Dave Grossman's and the, and the Tim Kennedy's. And, and so when I'm talking with Tim Kennedy and I go, Hey, like, I want to have you on here. He's like, sure. What, what do you want to do? Um, and I said, I don't know, what do you think is most important? And it was funny because everybody who attended the summit was so taken back by the fact that it was Tim Kennedy. So everyone's expecting either um, some type of martial arts MMA training or shooting. Yeah. Right. Um, We spent a full session training session talking all about situational awareness. Oh yeah. Um, And and the the funny thing is, is we're trying to lure, we, we try to lure people. We understand how, those of us with the military or, or law enforcement first responder mindset, how we work. Um, and so we wanted to lure people in and then shove actual training down their throats was, was kind of the game plan. So um, again, taking a guy like Tim, who's extremely successful and well-accomplished and you take that and then you have him sharing why situational awareness is so important because it's not about what happens in the fight. It's how to avoid the fight. And so taking that concept, rolling it through everything that we do. And then the biggest thing that we did last year, when we rolled out the ILET summit and created the ILET network, which is the international law enforcement training network is everything on the backbone of it is everything supports mental health and awareness. Yeah. And so we do a lot of cool stuff. We work with a lot of high speed people and do a lot of fun kinetic exercises and training but built in the back end of that, we always have components of, of mental health, resiliency, um, and, and things like that. So we ended up raising over $16,000 for cop line, um, which is based out of the U S but operates up in Canada as well. Um, and it's just a, it's a support line for law enforcement officers staffed by former law enforcement officers. So I don't know about your experience. Um, but for me, when, when I got out or during that transition period, every time I would have, a, a call. I'm like, Hey, I have to go in and, and talk to somebody, um, whether it was for like a mental wellness review or, or whatever it was, yeah. or more, I just wanted to speak with somebody about what I was going through. It was always seemed to be a civilian. Um, and it sucks every time. Cause you have to kind of explain what it is that we do, mm-hmm. how we do it, why we do it. And then explain the experience that they've never been through themselves. And so there, you never have that connection. And what Copline does is every time a, an officer picks up the phone and calls, you're talking to somebody else who has put on the uniform, worn the badge. Um, they may not know your exact situation, but they can relate in a different level than, than somebody who's never done that before. And I found that very, very important. So we supported them. Um, and uh, that's just been an ongoing thing, right? I mean, with that event, we did this, I got your six. Yep, um, love that. Uh, promotion. 
where we basically gave these shirts away. Anybody who registered, we and, and uh, got lifetime access to the material. We had shirts, we have patches, we have challenge coins, um, and everything. Again, all those profits went to charity. Mm-hmm. And and again, the reason being is is we have to support and, and build up that that mental health and resiliency. Um, and, and make that a, a talking point as much as we possibly can. So that's totally accurate. And you know, I think I can speak for everybody. Whenever you have to dial the VA on your phone, there is a sense of dread just having to deal with them in any way. I mean, you get the uh, the Manila envelope in the in the mail now, and you're just like, oh, "Fuck, what do they want now?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it, and yeah. it's so important to have some sort of connection. That's why peer support groups work. That's why uh, these styles of podcasts work because people, we know what we're talking about, right? It's, we've been there, we can understand it. We can empathize and offer our advice, right? Like whether or not that, that what worked for us, what didn't, that kind of stuff. So that's exceptionally important. And, you know, I, I love the, I got your six program. I think it's fantastic. This is exactly what we need in terms of uh, evolving the uh, organizations, right? Like the military organization as a whole is still stuck in the 70s, 80s, somewhere in there, right? And we need to push that that evolution. And the only way we're going to do that is through uh, direct awareness, talking about stuff and actually fixing the problems, (laughs) which is always fun. Um, Now, you said your transition was iffy was there any major issues with it or is it like yeah clean? not it was it was iffy in the fact that i didn't know where to go yeah. right i didn't know i didn't know how to leverage what skills and experience that i had um in the time that i had in because because that's it's all encompassing yeah right you're told where to where to eat where to sleep where to shit it, and so and it doesn't matter what level of command you're at, right? Those, you know, they're, you know, command staff still go to an officer's mess. They're still told where they're going to eat, yep. right? It's not just the privates and the, and the corporals. So we, so that, that was the transitional um, thing for me that was kind of difficult. How do I take what I know and, and apply it to the, the private sector? Um, I was lucky that I've had, I had a lot of really great, um, you know what it was, what eased my transition was the fact that I was actually, um, I ended my time in a reserve unit where you have people that are, whether it was my CO, um, you know, our, our RSM all the way down through my, my platoon, uh, my section commanders that are, that have well-established businesses or they work in industries and they say, here's how we do this. Here's how you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. And it really, and again, from a junior officer perspective, because that's where I ended up my time as a junior officer, there was no, you know, I was still relying on the experience of my, my NCOs um, on the civilian side of things too, to, to, to say, how do I do this? Right. Um, And trusting in them that they're, they're there to support me. And, And I think that's the, one of the biggest takeaways that I don't think people really hold on to. They think that when you leave, when you, when you know, when you're, you go to the QM and you give off, give all them your, all your shit and you sign that piece of paper that says, Hey, you're no longer like this stuff doesn't, you know, you can't have access to it anymore. They think, well, great. Now I'm kind of alone Um, because we've built this brotherhood that we're like, well, if you're in, you're in, but if you don't want, you know how we sit down and, and we're at the mess and we joke about the civilians and well, can't believe they do that shit. And now you're like, well, I'm on the outside looking in that's a weird, weird place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But understanding that that brotherhood, that relationship doesn't go away overnight. 
Um, I'm still extremely close with a lot of people that I served with. And those are the, those are the relationships that I hold on to still um, because yeah. I'm, I, it's kind of a, a touchstone for me to, to kind of be like, okay, where am I? Where am I? Where did I come from? What? And then now taking that and what can I help other people like this, like doing podcasts like this, sharing <laughs> knowledge and experience. If, if everybody did that in some way, shape or form as a whole, we'd be a lot more better for it. Absolutely. The, um, I, I actually just commented on this uh, a few podcasts ago was that, you know, the machine moves on, right? Like you as a person, you're going to hand in all your gear and the army machine is just going to keep turning and people will get hung up on the fact that the machine keeps moving and forget that they still have brothers, right? I have lots of buddies that are still in. I got lots of buddies who are out now and we're all still close. We're all still you know, hitting each other up every once in a while, just, Hey man, how you doing? Little simple stuff like that to keep that relationship forward. And you're right. That brotherhood sticks for well forever, really. I mean, there's no, it wouldn't not to disappear anytime soon. Um, so I ask everybody this, but one piece of advice, if you could talk to yourself when you went through your transition, what's the, the, the real nugget that you would give yourself to be like, sort this out right now building and leveraging relationships yeah that has that, there's 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 no there's not even a close second there there really isn't it's it's building and leveraging relationships um one making sure that you're not burning bridges while you're active right um Smart. yep that's important um i i made my fair share of mistakes um in that realm um mm -hmm. But then, but then leveraging those relationships. Um, I'll give you a good example. Um, we are, we're going to be running an international summit on counter sex trafficking coming up here in June. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have a, a buddy who I know who's an MP runs security at the, the Mexican embassy. Um, and I reached out to him and I said, Hey, do you have any contacts with the, the Mexican government on HT units? And he said, let me get back to you. Within two days, I was on the phone with a higher level person in their government um, offering up any support that they had to, to help us in this training endeavor. And that would have never happened had I not built and, 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 and maintained that relationship with that person. Yep. Um, and it's, it's weird. And now it, I'm lucky in the fact that I got to stay in kind of the same lane, right? I mean, first responder, law enforcement, private security, public sector, public safety training is kind of all interleaved. It's all, it's all kind of mixed in together. Um, and so I didn't, I don't really feel like I'm outside yet quite yet. I'm kind of still in the middle of it. Yep. Um, and so I'm comfortable in having those conversations and, but some people may end up doing things out completely outside of the military realm, right? Mm -hmm. You may end up being an accountant or you may end up being a contractor or a carpenter or a, you know, whatever stay at home dad or mom or, or whatever it whatever, is. Yeah. So, and you're like, well, how can I build and leverage relationships? Those, a lot of people don't understand. Like there's a reason why a lot of fortune 500 companies have ex military as their C level personnel. Yeah. It's because of our command structures because of our leadership development programs. It's because we know how to lead and execute on different things that doesn't go away. And so those relationships that you build could potentially serve you later down the road. 
Um, or you also have to remember that just because somebody wears a uniform doesn't mean they're not a human being and doesn't mean they don't have their own personal networks outside of uniform, outside of the uniform. Mm-hmm. And so I can reach out to somebody who I know who I served with and say, Hey, quick question. Do you know anybody who does this or knows this? And they say, yeah, actually my brother or my best buddy or my sister-in-law, right. Actually does exactly that. Let me put you in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that whole like six degrees of separation idea that even, even the Canadian forces for us as, as small as it is, there's, there's no way that you're not going to have a connection that you need within that, within that network. Yeah. Somebody's um, going to know a guy who knows a guy, somebody who, who know, knows, knows somebody guy. who knows somebody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So again, that would be my biggest takeaway is, is don't burn your bridges, but also don't be afraid to leverage those relationships. And if you have like, I don't know about you, but I've never once had somebody call me who I either served with or knew or served themselves. And I never even knew them or law enforcement, security, military, first responder that's called me and said, Hey, can you, do you have any idea on this? And I've never turned them away. Yeah. Um, no. And, and I'm not, and people will be like, well, that that's cause that's what you do for a living. I think the the exception to the rule is the person that doesn't do that. I would say the vast majority of people who have ever put on a uniform will go above and beyond to help somebody else, even if they don't know them. That's what we swore to do when we first joined. And that's what we're going to continue to do, regardless of whether or not you wear the uniform or not. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're, we're used to doing so much more, right? Like how much, how much effort does it take to be like, huh? Yeah, I know a guy. Go talk to him. Right. Like that, that takes nothing because we're used to giving, giving so much more of ourselves in training, in uh, going overseas in just signing the dotted line, like the work that we put in every day as soldiers and first responders and like just that type of person. Absolutely. Yeah. Not even a question. Somebody said, Hey man, do you know somebody that can do this? Yeah, man. Call him. Here's his number or I'll call him. Servant warrior leader. Right. right. Exactly. That's hundred percent. Yeah. Exactly. I, uh, I talked to, um, Dave Ward, he's a former sniper about this too. And I said that there's this resurgence and resurgence in the veteran community of that really is, it's almost a Renaissance, right? Like we all went to war. Most of it, like a good chunk of us, we all said, okay, we tested ourselves. We're, we're okay. We're good to go. Now I can do whatever I want. Right. Because especially combat arms, type people we all have that desire like i want to be tested test me test me keep throwing stress at me whatever you got i can take it hit me hit me hit me but once you get beyond that and you're like okay cool i'm, I'm happy with the way i turned out <laughs> and you can move forward now you have you know people building their own forges and people starting businesses and people making uh, all all kinds of stuff when that chip on their shoulder is no longer there because they're they're good to go and the yeah it's just it's amazing so let's dive into this a little bit the training culture is what i wanted to get into so i know a lot of i got a lot of buddies who are uh police i got uh, my cousin himself is rcmp i got uh, you know military buddies up the wazoo and being an instructor the one thing i always wondered was like the culture difference because you always think of, uh, you know, private security is a bit more loosey-goosey Hollywood kind of stuff. And you think of when you see uh, 
police and you, you think about how little time they have to actually do the training throughout the, throughout a, a year, it, you, like, all you really see is what's on TV and what's on, uh, what's in movies. So how does the, the, the culture differ from being military, police, private security? I mean, we're all pretty similar, but like, what is that? Uh, what is the difference really? Yeah, culturally, I wouldn't say it's all that different. You know, we have a lot of the instructors in private security, um, any of the good ones, and I won't say any, I won't say all, but most of the most of the really good ones have had some type of external experience, whether it be in uh, the the public safety field or in the uh, military fields. So, and when I say public safety, I'm talking, you know, law enforcement, but also sheriffs, corrections. Yeah. Right. Things like that. Um, and then, you know, military experience. Training is an interesting, it's a dichotomy, right? You have the stuff that you want to teach and the stuff that you have to teach. And it's finding that happy medium. It, um, when, it, when it comes to a lot of law enforcement programs that try to leverage military training, Sometimes they go and the instructors, if they're not trained correctly, will try to go and, and run a bunch of high speed stuff without understanding the background behind it, mm -hmm. without understanding the why, without understanding how to actually utilize that training or even to understand who is that training designed for. That's an issue. Um, same thing when you have a law enforcement, former law enforcement instructor training security, and they don't understand that it's not the same job, Yeah. right? The, the training isn't any different. I can teach somebody who's a private security guard, how to apply handcuffs. I can teach a police officer how to apply handcuffs. And I can teach, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a private, how to apply handcuffs. Guess what? It's going to be the exact same across the board. Cause it's literally just applying a mechanical restraint to a human being. Mm -hmm. there's there's no there, there's no real room for interpretation at that point it's really a pretty simple exercise but when you're starting to talk about why are you applying handcuffs it is completely different if you're talking like on deployment right in an active ao mm -hmm. you're talking a law enforcement officer or correctional officer or a sheriff and or if you're talking about a, a private security officer who's a private citizen Mm -hmm. And so, it, again, for instructors, the biggest issue is that they need to spend more time understanding the components of why we do certain training rather than the physical skill set itself. I can find that, you know, people that can teach defensive tactics are a dime a dozen. People that understand defensive tactics is rare. Mm -hmm. And so I can find a martial artist that can teach you how to do some type of ground control ground fighting um, from like a, say you're say you have to control somebody who's proned out on their stomach. How do you gain control of that individual? Mm -hmm. I can, I can find a whole bunch of people that can teach that understand the concept that could show somebody here's how you do this. It's very rare to find somebody who can explain to you, well, why do we do this? Right. What are the ramifications of it? What, are, what is the case law in my specific city county state region province country yep right what it and and what happens if i do this um what you know what are my roes if i'm deployed 
when can we do this? Why should we do this? Right. Um, how quickly after an engagement where you're going kinetic, do you engage that individual and provide medical care and why can you explain the why, right? Mm -hmm. All of these little things come into play. So from an instructor standpoint, the biggest issue between each of those three segments where you talk private security, law enforcement, and military is the understanding of those instructors. A lot of instructors are fantastic in their lane. I can take a military CQC instructor that are the best at what they do and they can run guys through training, guys and girls through training every day, every week, every year. And they're going to churn out high level of proficiency within their students. But I can take them and put them in front of a bunch of law enforcement officers and it's going to be a disaster. Um, and it's because they don't understand the context of the why behind their, you know, AO, what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And so that is the biggest difference. The individual skills themselves don't really change. It's the understanding of when to apply them and why we apply them that varies um, industry to industry. That's a that's a great it's uh, <laughs> a great explanation for it. The um, understanding the why of anything is so important, and in terms of um, you know your own health, your uh, your own relationships with your families, uh, how you deal with people and business. Like if you can understand the why behind it you're going to be that much more effective in anything, right? Like that's, uh, that's such an important piece to remember is if, uh, if I'm, if I'm out there taking a boxing class, right. To get healthy, why am I taking it? Right. I, do I want to know how to box? Do I want to not? Like I tried to get my, uh, my wife to learn some BJJ. I was like, yeah, you should come to class with me. It'd be great. We can roll. We'll have a, have a blast. We'll have a good old time. She had no desire to learn it none whatsoever and so her like there was no why for her to be there other than the fact that i said maybe you should come uh whereas for me i'm like i gives me better control over my own body i get physically fit i'm getting more um flexible and i'm learning a brand new skill this is all great for me right? <laughs> but for her she doesn't have that why so that skill means nothing to her which is uh yeah it's just it's very succinct way of putting it <laughs> yeah um, but I, when I first started um, jujitsu, and the reason why I started jujitsu when I did was I've been a, a kind of a traditionalist in the martial arts sense, um, a lot of Filipino and, and Japanese style martial arts, a lot of mm -hmm. standing up, um, a lot of kicking, a lot of punching, very, very proficient at it. Um, and when I was teaching DT courses and we'd get to the ground component, I was proficient, but I didn't have a deep understanding. Right. So when a student would ask, well, what happens if, if this, and a lot of the times I'd have to go, well, I, listen, man, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, sometimes we would have a student in the class. I'd one time I remember teaching, um, and this goes into a component of, of uh, one of the pillars of instructorship or, or, or leadership and training that I believe um, is humility, which is learned by the way. Um, yep. And I, and Believe me, I didn't have this trait when I first started. So there's a lot of people from my my early days that would say like, I can't believe he's talking about this because he's an idiot. Um, but it's a learned trait and a learned skill. I'm teaching a DT class. We're doing ground fighting and I have a, a BJJ black belt. That's one of the students. Nice. And so we get to a component. One of the guys that I'm working out with um, asks a question and I say, great question. No idea. I called the other student over and said, Hey, he has a question. Can you please help us out? Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't because, and he wasn't an instructor. He wasn't getting paid as an instructor, nor did he have to help. But 
I couldn't answer that question because I didn't understand the concept or what he was asking or why. And even if I did, I didn't have the proficiency to give him information on that, knowing that if he walked out of this class and I told him something incorrectly, it could potentially cost him or somebody else um, their lives. And so mm -hmm. I called this other uh, in individual over who was very proficient. He explained it in about 30 seconds. Um, and what I did, I love the, I love, I'm going to tie this into your, your podcast tools of the toolbox. What I did was I added that to my toolbox. So for the next time somebody asked me that question, I actually had an answer for them. Yep. Right. Um, after that course, I grabbed that, pulled that guy aside and we drilled that thing for like 30 minutes so that I became proficient in that one skill yep. so that I could accurately convey it to somebody else if they asked a question. That's, um, so yeah. BJJ, to go back to your point, um, as terms of motivation, I realized that I had a hole in my game, like my ground game. And so I joined up um, and I started with Gracie Humida um, in Winnipeg. And um, I went in there and I went in there as a, as a DT, like a, a credentialed and, and certified DT instructor and a lot of martial arts in my background. And I walked in there and I, I told the guy who runs the school and I said, Hey, here's my background, but I'm coming in here like brand new, like whatever. He's like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, he put me with like this 14 year old um, blue belt. And the kid was like, I'm two thirty six mm -hmm. feet tall. This kid was probably 150 pounds soaking wet and yep. a few inches shorter than me. Um, and he must've twisted me into a pretzel for six straight minutes, tapped me like a dozen times. Um, and there was no more humbling experience than that, <laughs> but there was no more motivating experience than that. I was yep. so excited that yep. I got choked out so many times because I was like, I'm, I get to start a new journey. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for instructors, I think for people that are instructors, that is such a key component is that willingness and want to continually learn and grow and educate yourself. And if you don't have that motivation or you find, you come to a point in your career where you've been teaching for forever and you're just teaching the same stuff over and over again, it becomes repetitious and you really have no motivation to kind of go out and what is somebody else doing? Can I learn something different? Can I, can I, should I shift lanes and do, and do something completely outside of my wheelhouse? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that drive, maybe you should reconsider what you're doing for a living. Cause you probably shouldn't be doing it anymore. Yeah. You're, you're totally accurate. I had uh, a great example of this uh, early as a mass corporal. I had just gotten put in Meaford as a um, uh, recruit instructor and the CEO decided to take us out for a toot, right? Tactical uh, expert. Tactical, uh, what is it? <laughs> Tactical exercise without troops. There we go. And uh, he gave us this whole scenario. And most of the, the higher ups were infantry or artillery armored. I was the lone engineer sitting in the corner <laughs> as a master corporal, like, hmm, this is interesting. And uh, the warrant who was in charge of my group was to build the, uh, the plan was like, hey, man, young master corporal. What ideas do you have? You're looking at the ground right now. You're an engineer. How would you play this? And I came up with a completely different scenario than what most of the infantry guys were coming up with, right? And they were, well, the tanks are going to come this way. So we're going to set up our defensive line here and the tanks are going to be up here. And they were all pretty similar. And uh, I took the, I went hardcore engineer and I'm like, okay, we're going to backfill our uh, reverse slope, all of these hills. We're going to dig out the backside of them. So they'll make them immediate tank traps and they can't go over them. Ha ha ha. And then we're going to put abatis down and then we're going to dig little tiny trenches that the infantry can pop up and, uh, and do hunter killer teams with Carl G's and blah, blah. And I went on this whole little rant and the warrant was like, that's a fucking solid idea. You're going to pitch to the CO. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, 
Yay me. <laughs> oh, cool. It comes, but, it comes, there's a, there's a component that we utilize in, in what we do with ILET and that's getting outside of your bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you are, if you end up in some, so here's a, in, it can tie into the way society is moving right now. If you end up in some type of echo chamber yep. where all you're hearing is the same ideas over and over again, you start to believe that you're a genius yep. um, and that you know everything there is to know. Um, and you'll learn very quickly that that's not the case, especially, you know, um, running toots, running tabletops, running whatever it is. Um, and you have somebody come in who can just destroy your plan in all of three seconds. You get a, yep. you know, you sit down and pitch to a CEO and say, Hey, here's, here's my, here's my first COA, second COA, third COA. He goes, cool. I'm going to insert this, um, to your scenario. And now all of those are complete garbage. Yeah. Raj back to the drawing board. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> As an instructor, you have to understand that that's a component. And so what we, we've done with ILET is we get people outside of their bubble. So if you're a tech guy and, and you're doing you know kinetic operations all the time and that's all you're doing is kicking in doors and serving warrants, awesome. Now let's talk about interview and interrogation. Let's talk about interviewing um, you know uh, child abuse suspects. Let's talk about um, mass fatality management, how to do, how to, uh, let's, re- let's talk about, um, uh, active shooter incidents and running triage mm-hmm. and incident command. Let's talk about all these different things. And it's to get you outside of that constant thought pattern that I'm a door kicker. I kick doors and I like to door kick and I kick doors and I like kicking doors yeah. and I'm a shooter and I kick doors. Yeah. We want to get door, that. So I'm gonna kick it. Yeah. Yeah. And if I see a door. I'm going to kick it. Right. <laughs> if you, if, if uh, you see, every, you know, if uh, you're a hammer, you see everything as a nail, right? Yep. So, we want to get people outside of that mindset and say, just because you are, you do one certain task or one certain thing very well, doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people that do different things. Yep. Yours is a perfect example of that, right? There's a reason why in the military, we have units that are comprised of people of different specialties. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why when we're building out our battle plans, we bring in everybody from the different units and they give their two cents so that somebody can make a comprehensive plan utilizing all of those variables. Training is the exact same way. The problem is, is that I don't have the, you know, I don't have the luxury of having a a CP with a bunch of G level people to come in and say, here's our comms plan. Here's this, here's that, here's whatever. And I go, yeah, Raj, and I can put it together as an instructor. A lot of the times it's just you, maybe you and another person. Yeah. And now your job is to bring all that information in yourself. And if you're lazy and you don't want to do the work, your students are going to suffer for it. Yep. Um, and in our line of work where we're training military law enforcement, private security, you doing them a disservice at the end of the day could cost them or somebody else their life. Yep. And that's something that I'm not willing to live with. Yeah. That's uh, I, you know, I, I had this conversation another day too uh, in regards to this. And I was saying that, you know, most, most veterans, most military, police, fire, EMS, we, we live in a world where consequences are dire, right? That the, the worst consequence you can think of someone dying, that's what your general consequence is for doing your job. And one of the things when we were doing uh, overseas an engineer was, you know, we'd clear the road, right? And that's, part of the job we'd be out in front of the entire convoy be two of us right with our metal detectors and that's the job and the worst consequence of me not doing my job even the slightest bit of laziness 
is someone else behind me dying right after I had already checked that road. And it's, it's that mentality that allows us to train harder, train better, train smarter and recognize when there's an issue. There was a, a point when I was a, as an instructor, I had the ethar program that I was supposed to give to uh, the recruits, which is explosive threat hazard and awareness recognition. There we go. Awareness and recognition. So it's like minds. Um, I'm sure you've had to take the course at some point. It's really dry and very hard to sit through mines, IEDs and uh, unexploded ordnance and all this stuff. And it's like, this is what a mine looks like. Ooh, this is the hazards of it, blah, 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 blah. And it's real boring. Um, but I was supposed to give it to a bunch of recruits and let them go through the program. And I was reading it and I was like, this is really IED heavy, really IED heavy. It was 90% IEDs. There was a small section on mines and a little bit on unexploded ordnance. And I was like, this can't, these guys are, we're not going to Afghanistan right now. So it doesn't serve them best to go to a unit and be IED heavy covered, but have no idea what to do in a minefield. So I took that to my, uh, my training, my training officer. And he was like, change it. You don't like it. Give me something new. So I went, I was like, okay, cool. And I went back to the drawing board and I redrafted this whole program. And it wasn't a huge thing. It was like a three day uh, coverage of what this took. And then, so I was like, well, if I'm going to give them a good coverage, I'm going to give them a good coverage. So I took apart the larger five day ethar course that we give to full units. And I made it to uh, a two and a half day with some, uh, some mine lanes and stuff. And I, they accepted. They were like, yeah, this is great. Cool. And then they sent that to the school and then that got set across the CF actually went to the uh, East coast command. They were like, good to go. Sent to the West coast command. They were good to go. So now all the BMQ lands that were running after me got the new updated ether course. And it was just because I noticed that it was IED heavy and decided to put the work in. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the, the key point is that you need to put the work in, <laughs> in, in anything that you want to do. Um, and I think that's the, that's the, the real difference when it comes to, you know, best practices, the, the instructors, the leaders, the people that you want to follow, right. They're, they're those people that will just sit there and go, oh, you know, I don't really like that. And then they'll put the work in. Um, so the next thing that I want to really dive into here was training after the life, right? This is so we all love to be in it and we all want to scratch that itch forever. And we never really think of ourselves as ever going to leave that life, right? The most guys in the military, especially combat arms, we're either going to die before we're 30 or we're going to be here forever kind of thing. Um, but when we do get out and we are removed from that system, we're removed from the machine. Uh, you know, I see a lot of people that just, they stop, they stop training. They'll go to the range once in a while, maybe with a hunting rifle or, you know, maybe take up a martial art or whatever. But I would say one of the most key things in terms of living a healthy life afterwards is to maintain that. That's what we are, right? We, what we should be skilled in whatever it is we're looking at. What are your, what are your thoughts on training after the life? I should say. Yeah. I mean, my opinion is, is slightly skewed because I'm a, like, I, I'm an instructor. So that's, that's what I do. I've continued to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a passion that I'm always going to have and always will have, I would assume. Um, 
but for the majority of people that don't ever get to, or have never aspired to be instructors, to be trainers, you know, the general guy who goes in, serves his 20 and gets out, um, hopefully before his body fails him, you know, it's, it really comes down to what are you passionate about, right? Like what, what, what are things that you're passionate about? Is, is physical fitness and is that important? Yeah, it's important, right? Do you have to maintain the same level of fitness that you had going through your phase one? No, like that's ridiculous. If you did that, your body would shut down. You can't do that, right? Um, so that is something that I think people have to be realistic about. Um, you know, it's kind of equivalent to like the freshman 15, right? Like you're going to get out, you're going to put on some weight most likely, like just don't let it get out of hand. Yeah. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with having a dad bod chicks dig that. Now my wife loves it. <laughs> um, or at least I pretend that she does. Yeah. It makes me feel better about myself. So training is important and it's, but again, it's what you're passionate about. I grew up in martial arts. So for me, that's always going to be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, warrior skill sets right martial arts combatives firearms those types of things are only for a select few people i know a lot of guys that have gotten out that said i never want to touch a gun again right rock and roll man hey all the power to you what are you passionate about well i love history like i love the history cool and i and i know a lot of guys that have gotten out that have become almost adept military historians Mm -hmm. because they're passionate about learning about the history that they just left what they did in their time in and the time and the people before them and, and hypothesizing about what's going to happen in the future. A lot training isn't just physical skills. Like I was saying before, there's a huge mental component to, to training. Um, maybe the person wants to stay ready and, and be ready for the fight. Maybe you get into a, a role or a position where you study things like situational awareness, right? That you, um, you start teaching, the cor- on the corporate side, you start teaching companies how to utilize the practices that you learned during your time in and overseas and finding a way to tie that towards how they currently run their business, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of people that do that. There's a lot of things that don't revolve around knives and guns and mats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big thing that we have to start sharing with people is that there's a select few people who will continue to be very, very deadly human beings their entire life. That's a very, it's a, it's a very, very small component, a fraction of a fraction of people who are pure warriors that they were born and put on this earth to be a warrior. And that's it. Right. And we all know those people you can think, as I'm saying that you're thinking of like, I know a guy. (laughs) Yeah. I know that guy. guy." guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not everyone is built for that. And so understanding yourself enough, understanding everything enough to know that, Hey, that's not for me, but what I love doing is I like, um, I love coaching my kids baseball, right? So jumping in and, and doing all the practices and jumping in as a coach and doing all the exercises and drills with the kids, those types of things, that's training, mm-hmm. right? Training, breeding is training, mm-hmm. um, going online and watching a, a YouTube video or going on LinkedIn and doing like a LinkedIn learning course on cooking. Yeah, That's training. And, and again, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of martial arts. And if, if somebody ever wants to call and talk shop on martial arts, like I'm there every day for you, like <laughs> get a hold of me, let's talk. Yep. There's not a lot of people that like doing that. And so again, as much as we like to pretend that we're always going to be the soldier, the warrior afterwards, 
a lot of people are like, I've done my time. I just want to be, I just want to be dad. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want to be Adam. I just want to chill, go to the bar, eat wings, drink beers and watch sports with the boys. Yeah. Rock and roll. It just don't let whatever the life that you had while you're in your, during your service, don't let that consume who you are as a person. That's a component of what you are. It's not yeah. who you are. Yeah. And, and if there's a takeaway from this, that would be my takeaway is that your uniform, your service doesn't define who you are as a person. It's a piece of who you are. It always will be, but it doesn't define who you are. And so when you leave, you, you if, if you can find something that you were, when you joined and you enlisted and you got to go to basic and you were just fucking gung ho. Sorry. I don't know if I could swear in your podcast. Oh yeah. You were just gung ho <laughs> about jumping in. That's what, if you can find that now, when you're in your forties and your fifties, yep. do that. Whether it's cars or woodworking or whatever, find what it is you're passionate about and continue to do things that keep you happy. We talk about mental health a lot and what we do. It's finding a, a it's finding a purpose, mm-hmm. right? Human beings need to have a purpose, a purpose for survival. Yep. Years ago, that purpose was wake up, find food, keep fire going. Just survival. Sleep, yeah. Don't get killed. Yep right? Very simple. It's different now. Mm -hmm. The brain hasn't changed very much in the last 20,000 years. So we still have those baseline desires. Mm -hmm. And so we have to fulfill those desires by finding things that we're passionate about. And when you do that, you're going to be a lot better off. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole a bit, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. That's what this place, that's what this show is about is the rabbit hole. This is what I love. I want the conversation. So that's what we should do. We should start our, we should start a a third podcast co-hosted and we'll call it the rabbit, the rabbit hole. We'll just go off on tangents on each other. It'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And you know, when I say, when I say training after life, I think what I really mean is learning, right? You want to keep learning keep striving to find something new and i saw this great uh i think it was a picture of a billboard or something like that and it was like um find the courage to suck at something again and i'm like i just love that because i i grew up martial arts the same way like i started uh early with karate didn't really like that my brother found taekwondo him and i tried that for a bit he's now a third degree black belt in taekwondo um i didn't really fall on that i started getting into like kung fu and um the more chinese styles because i just enjoyed it more uh got really into that did some shaolin wushu for a couple of years and had a a blast and then i joined the army and you get into the guns and running and blowing stuff up and all this stuff so i always wanted to be physical i got out and i just like i had nothing i didn't have that uh, that thing to get me that physical exertion that, you know, I dr- strove for so much. And then I got into BJJ and man, did I, I got humbled the same way you did. I had a 16 year old girl tie me in knots right off the bat. I'm six six two twenty. Like <laughs> I got, I got humbled real fast. And, but the same thing happened to me. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like <laughs> this is, this is just straight up awesome. And I sucked horribly right at the beginning and i still suck i'm i'll be coming up for my blue belt soon but i suck man i'm not very good um but i i keep doing the same thing i, I look back on it and i go where am i where am i failing so i'll finish a role with somebody like a purple belt or a brown belt and i'll just get smoked and i'll be like where was it that i that i gave you something 
and it's usually right very early on but <laughs> the the sequence is that i, I want to learn like give me more information that's what i want and the um it kind of came to fruition just recently i had a uh, a confrontation with a neighbor that ended up with uh him pulling a knife on me and in my head I, I even asked him, I was like, what are you going to do with that? And he said, well, I'm going to fucking stab you right here in this park. And I'm like, okay. And I like in my, I was thinking to myself, that was a threat. I can now defend myself. And I pulled my knife out and I was like, all right, let's go. So be it. Right. And everything in my head was saying, here's the fight that you were waiting for. Like, this is it. You've been all the, the PTSD symptoms that were tingling in the back of your head, like shit's going to go down one day here we go. And then he backed down and I was like, actually kind of deflated. Cause I was like, what the fuck, man? I want I want like, I was ready for this. Let's do this. And then all the logic starts kicking in all the, the secondary stuff that I had learned over time, right? Like nobody wins in a knife fight. Someone's going to get cut regardless. And why you're eight feet away. You could just walk away. Like there's no reason to confront him on that. And, and I realized that that, that drive to be in the fight that uh, uh, I don't even know how to, the, the, how to say it kind of brought me to that position because I was looking for, it. I was like, I was waiting for him to give me the right words for me to engage him as a combatant. And I realized afterwards that, man, I should never have, I shouldn't have let it get to that type of confrontation you know what i mean and so the next thing i was going to say is like living in today's world confrontation is like fucking if where if you want it if you want it you can find it right <laughs> look it's out there how do you how do you personally how do you manage being in the instructor role constantly how do you manage confrontation in today's environment yeah, I don't, it's interesting, it's an interesting question because I don't find myself in, in those positions very often. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because I see it 18 steps ahead and I make a lateral yep. about as soon as I possibly can. Um, I've had in my youth, um, very similar experiences to to what you're saying, where it's like, I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I've been, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. Um, now it goes, I mean, now, and all of a with my understanding of how, our Canadian legal system works, or I was just in St. Louis um, where, uh, you know, carrying concealed is a thing. Um, things, there's a lot of, there's a lot of components, legal components that jump into your head. There's a lot yep. of, I have a family now. I have a wife. I have kids. What if this goes wrong? Mm -hmm. I have a wife. I have kids. What if I, this goes right. And I end up doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I take this person's life. Yeah. Right. My concerns in those situations are usually more of what are the consequences once this is over? And now I have to deal with those consequences. Mm -hmm. It's never been, I'm afraid for my life. Um, I've always usually, I, I kind of find a, a kind of a resolve in those types of situations where I'm like, I know what's going to happen here. Yep. You're not going to like it, mm -hmm. but I'm also not going to like it. Yep. Right. And I think that's, I think that's, the component we talk to any you talk to any, yourself you've deployed you know guys that i've talked to have deployed who have had to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do or um or that they had to do 
it's, it's, it's that thing that kind of, you know, we talk about mental health. That's the stuff that, that eats at you. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I had to do it, but did I really have to do it? Like, why did I have to do it? Mm -hmm. What, what, what led to this whole thing? Right. Like we're on patrol. Okay. And we got, you know, we ended up getting into an engagement. Well, why didn't we see that before that we actually got into the, why couldn't we go around that position? Why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do And you play these back and you know, it's, it's not healthy to just reenact things and go over things over and over and over again. That's, that's not a good feedback loop, but it is a good tool to be able to go back and reconstruct what happened and why it happened and then learn from that so that you can do it better the next time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when it comes to dealing with confrontation and conflict, um, I guess the best example I can give for what we do is when we ran our ILET summit last year, um, we did some marketing on Facebook. So we did some um, like, Hey, if you're in law enforcement, um, corrections, private security, those types of things, here's some training for you. It's available. Mm-hmm. It was for free. So we posted, we, we spent a bunch of money to send it out to as many officers. As we, we just wanted a bunch of people on board to, to watch the training. Of course, it's not, I'm not going to hit hundred percent of my target audience. So I had, so right off the bat, I had people responding to the promotions where it was like, Hey, get your free training or your free law enforcement training. Um, and it was the first response was um, the only uh, free ticket you're going to get is a speeding ticket. And then the other one was something to the effect of what do you, what are you teaching cops how to kill people and get away with it? Yeah. Um, and this was like two months post George Floyd at the time. And so what I did was, and I've had this conversation um, previous to this. I had a bunch of these conversations last week at ILEDA, um, which is the International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association. We met in St. Louis last week. The conversation surrounded what are we doing as instructors that is helping us build trust in the community and build trust in our officers so that they can build trust in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we had this happen and I'm getting the, all this negative feedback and, and mind you, some of them are trolls. Some of them are just doing it to get a reaction. Yep. And I know that. And if you're, you know, if you have half a brain cell, you understand that that's how the online world works. Mm-hmm. But I went back and I directly engaged every single one of those people that detracted or, or was making harmful comments or hurtful comments, or maybe were confused or conflicted as to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I personally invited them to attend all of the training. I said, hello, Karen. My name's Adam. I'm the director for ILET. I would love to personally invite you to attend all of this law enforcement training. Obviously, there's some, you, I'm not going to say that you don't have a valid reason to be skeptical of, of what we train police officers. So what I'd like you to do is attend and see for yourself firsthand what it is that we're training our law enforcement in North America and, and around the world. Um, some people, like I said, were trolls and just hammered back like whatever cool mm-hmm. ignore delete yeah right a handful were like okay yeah, not not interested don't care blah 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 hey no problem but then there was a, a select few who actually took me up on the offer attended the training and the majority of those got back to me and said thank you for letting me i didn't even i had no idea yeah um it wasn't 100 percent successful but again it was a conscious decision to not engage at the level that we're used to engaging where it's like hair goes up on the back of the neck yep. and it's like rock and roll, man. Like, let's make it happen. It's okay. I understand that you possibly do not have the right level of information 
or education on a subject matter and you're being emotional because that's the way our social media works right now. That's the way our, our society is working. Everybody's in these echo chambers and you're hearing information, news media that's steering you in a direction that may not be completely accurate. What we can do from a conflict perspective is say, one is to control our own emotion, right? Control my own emotion. And it doesn't matter if I'm about to get into a bar fight or if I'm dealing with some heckler online. Yep. My first and my highest priority is to control myself because that's the only thing I can control, right? I don't control if I'm going to get into a fight or not. Mm -hmm. That's them. They're going to control that because I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. And I'm only going to get into it if, if my hand is forced. Yeah. Same thing with this. I control my emotions. And now when I'm dealing with these people and we're saying, Hey, listen, you know, aside from a very few select topics like tactical operations, we don't discuss with the general public. Everything else is, is open. Mm -hmm. Like we're not, it's not like we're taking officers, taking them into a basement, showing them a videotape and then it self-destructs after 10 seconds. And it's like, nobody can ever see this again. <laughs> it's just not the case. Yeah. And, but people literally, people think that's how it works. That there's this, like this blue wall that you're either on one side or you're the other. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, and so we see that in the military. We see that in private security as well. Um, it's just right now it's super pronounced for the, the law enforcement sector. Yeah. So when it to, to, again, to cycle back to your question, which is what do we do with conflict is first and foremost, you have to learn how to control your own emotions. And, and if you're in a position where your neighbor, you're, you know, you're mowing the lawn and your neighbor says something to you and your fucking shoes fuse is so short that you pop off right away and you're like, and you're back at them. That's something where you need to reevaluate what's going on in here. Mm -hmm. because that that's not a that's not a standard that's not a regulated emotion that's yeah. that's you not having control of your own faculties and so we have to be, do some inflection and think about well why did that happen why was i why would i have because i just got in a fight with my wife was it because you know i got in a something's happening at work i'm super stressed out because i have a deadline and i want to work on it right now but my wife said if you don't mow the lawn like you're never getting in bed with me for another two weeks whatever it is there's something eating at you and you have to control that first and foremost. And so that's, and that's an ongoing thing. I'm yeah. still learning to deal with that and work with it. And I'm not the best. I still have a short fuse from time to time, believe you me, but it, when it comes to conflict, it doesn't matter if you're on deployment. It doesn't matter if you're on patrol. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, walking down the street with your dog, mm -hmm. that the number one thing in conflict is control yourself first you're not going to be able to decide when the fight happens. That's going to be outside of your control. Mm -hmm. All you can control is you yourself and what you're going to do bef before, during, and after that altercation. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I think the, the really key proponent, as you said, in, in all of this is the humility to go. I don't like, I don't think that was the right reaction, right? To be able to take insight of either an incident that you didn't like the outcome of previous and say, I want to change this or make it better. And then also in the engagement, when someone either there's a confrontation either about to happen or brewing or whatever, you have to be able to look inwards. You have to be able to say, what am I doing to aggravate this? Or what am I doing to uh, mitigate this? Or like, how, how is it that I am affecting this situation directly? Because then you can adjust, you can move on the fly, you can do whatever you need to do, right? And this leads back to what you were talking about in situational awareness earlier, <laughs> like, like 
if you have a really solid grasp of the situation as a whole, then you're going to be much better off in any sort of confrontation in any way. I mean, even if just like a, a random fight with your wife, if you actually have a better understanding of the whole situation, right? Is she, is she just mad? Is she, is it something you did earlier? Did you forget to do something earlier that you said you were going to blah, 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 right? But having that awareness and ability to look inwards, I think is the, the real, uh, the real key from there. So now we've been rolling for just over an hour and I just wanted to say, uh, thank you so much for being on, man. This has been fantastic. Great conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of really, uh, awesome, not only motivators, but key pieces of key tools for everyone's toolbox to, to be able to draw from and, and pull from here. So again, thank you very much. Is anyway, if anybody wants to find you or learn about you or listen to the podcast or anything, how do they find you? Yeah. I mean, well, first off, thank you so much for having me, brother. I mean, anytime that, My that we can do this, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Um, I just want to finish up on, on the situational oh, awareness thing. For anybody means, who yeah, hasn't yeah. read um, Left of Bang, um, by Riley and Van Horn. Mm -hmm. That's a great book to start. And actually I had the opportunity um, to sit down with a few other gentlemen um, with SLC squared. So six level concepts and consulting um, who are actually the ones who designed and were part of the build out of the combat hunter program that that book was based off of. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great place to start when you want to talk about situational awareness, um, especially for military law enforcement. I would start there. Um, for ILET Network, um, real simple, I-L-E-T dot network. Um, that's going to be the hub of everything that we're doing. Um, you're going to be able to find the podcast on there. Um, you can download the podcast hack to breakdown on any podcast player, anywhere you can find podcasts. Um, and then for us, we're going to be running a ton of events coming up this year. Um, we're doing some, uh, like I said, a counter sex trafficking event. We have our large multi-day international uh, law enforcement training summit. We do stuff with search and rescue. Um, and then we're working with a lot of different like active shooter programs and, and uh, field training officer groups and organizations and firearms organizations to put just as much training out there for, for officers and, and people as we possibly can. So if you're interested in training, we're the we're the place to be come join us and um looking forward to answering any questions or you can always find me get my contact information it's right on the contact page um reach out to me directly i promise i'll uh, i'll get back to you that's fantastic well again thank you this has been just an outstanding conversation it makes me want to be an instructor all over again so maybe i'll start uh start looking up on what i go. can get into it's, uh, it. it's awesome get after it <laughs> anyway all right brother i'll uh we'll talk to you again soon Right on, man. See you then. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. GMO.